Reading this morning is from Mark 7, verses 1 through 30. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there were many other traditions that they observed, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that, by going into him, can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters into his heart, not in his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the little children's crumbs. And he said to her, From this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. You may have a seat. And as you go to your seat, we'll go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, we uh, ask for your help uh, to understand and take in and be uh, transformed, convicted, encouraged, exhorted by your word. Holy Spirit, we know that this is the work that you're pleased to do. May we be receptive of all that you have for us this morning. We ask all these things in Christ. Amen. It's good to be with you. Uh, the older I get, I find myself doing this, and maybe you find yourself doing this as well. You begin to kind of reminisce and uh, think back on the old days. Uh, you think back on the old days of maybe technology or media or the way things were. And we can be uh, very wistful about such things. Uh, in fact, I was just having a conversation with Michael and Josh about a week ago about uh, the fact that uh, we don't have phones that you plug into the wall anymore. Uh, in fact, my children don't know what a phone jack is, uh, which is incredible. You know, that little hole in the wall, and they've asked before when we've seen one, like, what, what is that? And it's like, well, you used to plug a phone into the wall. Uh, don't even worry about it. It's not even worth explaining. That, that seems so long ago. Uh, we, we also told the boys not too long ago about the fact that you uh, used to, if you wanted to take pictures, actually had to have something called a camera. Uh, that you maybe even wore around your neck or you had an extra bag that you would uh, carry with you. Most of the times you didn't carry a camera with you every day. It was only for special occasions. Uh, and then you uh, used this thing called a camera uh, to take a picture and have the pictures uh, go onto something called film. I don't know if you've heard about film. Uh, you actually had a roll of film in the camera, and you would have to take uh, the roll of film uh, to uh, a drugstore. We would go to Eckerd in my family. Does anyone remember Eckerd? Yeah. Well, may, may it rest in peace, Eckerd. It, you have to wait, you know, several days, up to a week before your film was actually developed. So then uh, you could, in, in your hand, hold the pictures that you took. That was the process uh, that, that you had to go through in order to see pictures. And now when you got your pictures, what else you got with your pictures were the photo negatives. And so th this was a strip of uh, pictures or images that were smaller than the actual picture, but the, uh, the photo negatives uh, were uh, basically the exact inverse of the picture. And so in other words, you would, you would see on the photo negative that light was actually dark, so whatever was light in the picture, dark in the negative, uh, whatever was red in the picture was green in the negative, uh, whatever was blue was yellow, and you get the point. And that was the photo negative. It was kind of neat to look at how that worked itself out in the process. Here's what Mark is doing in our passage this morning. Mark, ever the fantastic storyteller, is wanting us to see photo negatives, uh, extreme contrasts in the stories that we are looking at this morning. These are polar opposites. So on one hand, we do have uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, we just heard that from Kirk as he read the passage over us. And then on the other hand, what we're meant to see as a photo negative is the story of the Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile woman that comes to Jesus. And so what we have here is we have defiled hearts and faithful hearts. That's, that's what I want to propose to you this morning is the contrast. We have defiled, unclean hearts, and then we have a heart of faith, a faithful heart. We want to see as we look at these two things in tension, what the Lord would have for us this morning, what he is actually wanting to show us more and more about the nature of the kingdom of God. 
Here's the main idea this morning. If you're taking notes and hopefully you picked up a handout uh, on your way in, it has the announcements on one side, but then on the other, a place for you to take notes. And here is the main idea this morning. Faithful hearts know they've been cleansed and fed by grace. Faithful hearts, hearts that God has uh, rescued and ransomed and given the gift of faith, faithful hearts know they've been cleansed and fed by grace. I'm going to be looking at three main points this morning, and so let me get right to the first one. It's this, the Pharisees see sin as only skin deep. The Pharisees see sin, but only skin deep. As uh, chapter 7 opens, we're back to the Pharisees. It's been a little bit since we've seen these guys show up. Uh, Several chapters ago, we had a visit from the Pharisees and the scribes and kind of scrutinizing what Jesus and the disciples have been doing. And so they are back. They're even coming from Jerusalem. So that's just giving you another indication that things are escalating. It's like when corporate shows up at your workplace. Now these guys from Jerusalem are here. Uh, what do they want? Well, they're obviously wanting to uh, trap Jesus and his disciples again. There's really nothing new here, uh, but specifically, they are disgusted. They're, they're concerned that the disciples are eating with defiled hands. Now, they're not concerned about uh, sanitary things like you and I might be. Obviously, uh, we hopefully wash our hands uh, before we eat a meal. That's just something that we do, but we're doing that mainly out of uh, the desire to be sanitary. Uh, This is not what's going on here. This was more about ritual purity. If if you read the Old Testament, there were several different laws about uh, ritual or ceremonial purity. Um, But what had happened here at this time is that the uh, Pharisees and the scribes had taken the original intent of those cleanliness laws, of those washings, which were meant to set ourselves apart, to recognize that we are not clean, that we are not holy, and they had taken that whole idea and they had gone way, way off course. So what they, what they were doing was leaving that idea about holiness and cleanliness and, and washing their hands and washing cups and washing vessels. We even see there they're washing dining couches. That's quite the commitment that you're going to wash the couch every time you sit down to eat. What we see uh, here in the story of the, of the Pharisees and the, the scribes is what you might call uh, identity politics. That's a, that's a term that we hear about all the time now. We hear about identity politics or this idea that uh, we're going to prescribe and construct for ourselves and our group, our tribe, so to speak, uh, these types of regulations and rules and purity tests in order to not, not in order so that you can come into them so that we, we might welcome others, but that we would set ourselves apart from others that we would elevate and separate from others. That's what the tradition of the elders is doing here. Notice that Jesus refers to this tradition of the elders or tradition of men several times. It's this man-made tradition that the Pharisees had co-opted for themselves and created and had been passed down over years and years and years, man-made traditions that were meant to separate and elevate over these lesser Jews. Over these guys, these guys with Jesus, why are they doing this? 
over lesser Jews, certainly over the Gentiles, although it's not referenced explicitly here, but they would certainly see the Gentiles being uh, wholeheartedly away from anything like this, any type of cleanliness. We see this all the time today, of course. That's why I said you, you hear this term, identity politics, and, and we know what this feels like. We, we see it on the news, but maybe more importantly, maybe we sense it or feel it in our own hearts. That there's nothing new under the sun and the propensity of the sinful heart to kind of set ourselves apart from those that we consider lesser or defiled or uh, dirty or damaged or ugly or whatever it might be. Now, we might wonder about this word, tradition. Is tradition bad? Jesus refers to tradition here in this passage several times. I went to Texas A&M, so you know that I like tradition, right? Uh, that's one of the reasons I love A&M is because you, you have such rich tradition. It's the reason that I love A&M and you think that it's weird, right? Uh, because there's all these different things that Aggies do that from the outside, you're like, why in the world are you doing those things? Traditions are not bad in and of themselves. Traditions when rightly placed and with uh, the appropriate wholesomeness or ethical uh, concerns, the traditions are, are fine. But what's happening here is that the elders or the, the Pharisees have taken traditions that are not from God. They, they've taken the traditions of the elders, and you can see there in verse 8 that Jesus says, you leave the commandment of God to hold on to these traditions. And not only that, not only do they leave the commandments of God, look at what it says in verse 9, that Jesus says, you reject the commandment of God in order to establish your traditions. Paul says this in Colossians 2, verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. External cleansing, all of the manipulation and the washing of pots and vessels and couches and hands, all of this had become something that in human tradition ended up neglecting and even rejecting the bigger need, which was a cleansing of the soul, which was what was needed on the inside. And the Pharisees only saw sin as skin deep, as something that only affects the outside of someone or something. And this is the danger of hearts that are closed off to grace. This is the deceived heart on display. They, they really did believe the lie that these oral traditions of men were really ordained by God. Uh, that was part of the deception of the Pharisees, is that all these things they were doing, they really felt was, was approved and ordained by God himself. That the word of men, that these traditions that had been passed down, superseded the word of God. They believed that this was true worship. They really did. They really thought this was the way to worship. But Jesus rebukes them. Jesus totally rejects what they are saying and doing. There in verse 6, he talks about this prophecy from Isaiah, calls them hypocrites, and says that their hearts were far from him, that they may worship with their mouth, but their hearts are nowhere close. 
He then goes on to, to give an example of this beginning in verse 10. And maybe as you were reading this uh, a few minutes ago, you might have had questions about what is this thing called Corbin? Uh, maybe you've uh, never uh, taken a deep dive into Corbin. Not that you necessarily would, but let me read these verses again, verses 10 through 13, and give you an idea of what Jesus was talking about. He says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So Corbin was this act, this very, uh, very good act when it was uh, done correctly or with the appropriate motivation and with the appropriate heart. Corbin was taking, taken, taking anything uh, whether it be money or property, and dedicating it to God. It was uh, basically saying, this, which I own, I'm going to dedicate to the Lord. And in and of itself, Corbin was just fine. But what Jesus was highlighting here is that uh, the Pharisees were taking money and even encouraging others to take money and say, this is Corbin, I'm dedicating this to God. And then when mom and dad come later on, because we're supposed to honor our father and mother, and part of honoring our father and mother very well could be to provide for them in illness or in old age. It's a, it's a commandment. It's one of the commandments we'll see later on as we continue to pray through the Ten Commandments. And what, what the Pharisees and the scribes were saying, hey, mom and dad, sorry, I know, I know that you are in deep need here. I know that you don't have any money. I know that uh, things are really bad, uh, but I've, I'm sorry, I can't give you any money. I've, I've put this away for God. This is God's, not yours. Sorry, wish I could do something for you. And you could see that this uh, goes, ev goes against everything that God had intended for his law and for the Torah uh, to do. Uh, the spirit of his, of his law. Of course, this was a wicked thing that they were doing because more than likely, they weren't actually using this money, dedicating it to God and not using it for themselves. So basically, it was a way for them to say, this is God, sorry, mom and dad, and then behind the scenes, they're using the money for themselves. And this is why Jesus says in verse 13 that it voids God's word because it's your tradition, it's the things that you do. Several years ago, there was a man at, uh, at our church that uh, could come in. He was actually uh, one of the fathers of one of our members, uh, a father of one of our members, and uh, he came in. They were looking possibly to join our church. He was an older gentleman, and uh, as he came in, he seemed nice enough at first. We got to know him a little bit. And then uh, at one point, we had uh, a membership uh, class, as we uh, always do, that, to basically help understand the, the different uh, tenets of faith that we are uh, adhering to and some of our distinctives as a church. And it was actually during um, one of these meetings that he actually became rather agitated and very belligerent in his speech because uh, we did not uh, read from or utilize the version or the translation of the Bible that he did. 
And, and having your own preference for the translation of your Bible is fine, but the way he was talking about it was that we were actually in sin. We were actually going against the will of God by not reading from this particular uh, translation of his Bible. So obviously, we had to have difficult conversations and uh, became increasingly concerned that he was taking this type of, of posture with us. Uh, and, and as we continued to talk to him, it actually uh, came out more and more that there were just more concerning things about this man. He, he uh, said that he would never need to apologize to his children, that there was never a time in his life, when, either when the kids were young or as adults, that he, as their father, would ever need to confess sin or apologize. Because the Bible says, honor thy father and mother. And that means that I don't have to uh, apologize to my children because they are to honor me and not vice versa. The reason that this, this man uh, believed these things was that there was a tradition that he was holding to, that there was a, something that was passed on to him, whether it be from previous church context, his own upbringing, the own manipulation of God's word. This man, sadly, was closed off to grace he had elevated traditions of man over the word of God, even though he actually f certainly thought that he was following God's law. I mean, there was no doubt in his mind that this is exactly what God had told him to do. He didn't realize how sick with sin he was. He only saw that Sin was skin deep, that sin is something external, that uh, skin, that it's only skin deep. This problem can be resolved by changing the version of the Bible that you read or having uh, uh, children and others like snap to when it comes to the law of God concerning honoring your parents. But seeing the problem as skin deep is way too thin. It's, it's much deeper the problem with sin is not skin deep. And I think most of us know that this morning, but uh, maybe Jesus in this moment is wanting us to plumb the depths even more. Maybe he's wanting us to go deeper. And that's certainly what he's doing here, beginning in verse 14, when he goes on to talk about where indeed does sin come from. So this is the second point on your handout. Jesus sees sin coming from deep within See there in verse 14 that he gathers everyone uh, to himself, and he actually says something quite radical. He says that nothing from the outside of a person defiles them. That, it, that is food that enters the body and is expelled. That, that doesn't defile you. It's what comes out of your heart. You see, you see, even there in verse 19, there's a little parenthetical statement. You see that? It's parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean. And this was certainly something revolutionary at this time. Uh, this was Jesus once again claiming that he is the fulfillment, his kingdom is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament, Old Testament laws and, and regulations. And we've already seen him revolutionize the Sabbath way back in chapter 3. We've seen him revolutionize now ritual purity laws and now food laws. He's doing something new here. He's doing something incredible here. And what he's wanting 
the disciples and those that are gathered to him at this, at this moment is to let them know that dirty hands, certain types of food, that's not your problem. That, that, isn't, that, that isn't the thing. The thing is your heart. The heart of man is the biggest problem in the world. The heart of man. From the heart comes all sorts of evil, both, both thoughts and deeds. You can see that from the list there in verses 21 through 23. Both in thought and in deed, whatever comes out of your heart, that is what defiles you. In the early 18th century, a British writer and philosopher, G.K. Chesterton, some of you might uh, be familiar with him, he was responding at the time to a uh, request in the London Times newspaper. He, this was in England, and, and the newspaper had published an article or, or a little statement, and it said, we want you, reader, uh, to uh, submit an essay. And the, the question that you're going to answer in this essay is, what's wrong with the world? And they were soliciting responses from all the readers of the London Times. What's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote in only these words, quote, Dear sirs, I am. What's wrong with the world? Us. Hearts. The wicked. They're deceitful. We have far too weak of a view of sin, by and large. We have, we have a culture that is constantly navigating and seeing and declaring what is a problem and what is a dysfunction and what is a malady, but we do not have a propensity, either in our flesh or from the world, to ever go deep enough, to ever uh, indicate and, and see the true root of our problems, the true root of our evils. No one is more against you than you. No one is, has ever harmed you. No one has ever caused more heartache in your life than you. Maybe you hear that this morning and, and you don't know how to reconcile that. And I know that we've come in this morning and we're a part of this body from all sorts of walks of life and, and different experiences. But do you believe that? The biggest problem in the world is me, is you. Here we are, and this is how it is as uh, children of Adam, as we are born sons of Adam, that uh, our, our father Adam, who uh, chose sin, who in the wickedness of his own heart chose to uh, not worship God, but to be like God himself. This is who we are. And it, and it runs really deep. It runs really deep. We, we don't like the ugliness of that, but it really is true. Augustine, St. Augustine said that if babies who are disgruntled at their mother's breast were strong enough, they would inflict harm on their mother because we're all born with sinful hearts. You, you see what he's saying? Like we, we, we see a fussy baby and a, and a you know, writhing baby who has a hard time getting settled and most of us would be like, oh, that poor baby, it's so cute and innocent. I wish he would calm down a little bit. I know he's just hungry, but what he's really saying is no, that baby, if it had the strength to strangle his mother would. That's the depth of our sin. 
Friends, faith knows that our hearts are deceitful above all things, that our hearts are dirty and defiled. It's our hearts that need to be cleansed. It's our hearts that need to be washed. And and it's obvious if we say that out loud, if we really think about it, we can't do that on our own. There's no way for us to do that on our own. Can we wash our hands? Sure. Can we wash our couch? Of course, go for it. But can we wash our heart? No. How? This is a deep problem. And so a deeper problem requires a higher solution, and that is the grace of Jesus Christ. And so that takes us to the story of this woman, this Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile woman. And and here's the third point. This woman sees amazing grace. This woman sees amazing grace. This 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 is an amazing story. I don't know if we can appreciate how incredible this particular story is in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Jesus, as we read, travels away from the area that he's been in. He's, he's been primarily in a, in a heavily Jewish region in Galilee, and now we read that he has gone away to a majority Gentile region. And one of the prevailing reasons is he didn't want anyone to know. He wanted to go away, be more alone We actually know from Matthew's account of the same story, the disciples were with him. So here's Jesus with the disciples going away, thinking that he's going to be able to not have to deal with some of the things that he's just moving away from, that is the Pharisees and the scribes. He knows that they're not going to be where he's going now. But if he thought he was going to be able to hide out in this house, he quickly finds out that he's not. We read that immediately a woman shows up, She's heard that Jesus is in town, and she falls down at his feet and begs Jesus to cast a demon out of her little daughter. But he doesn't do that right away. And no doubt, as we have read this story, as we heard it read over us just a minute ago, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. And that is the fact that in verse 27, Jesus, in not so many words, refers to this woman as a dog. Okay, we got to do something with that. We have to ask ourselves a lot of questions. Jesus refers to this woman as a dog. Now, why would he do such a thing? Is this Jesus just having a bad day? Is this is finally the, the weight of ministry and the burden of the people that he is hearing from and talking to finally got to Jesus? He finally snapped. He's like... I'm just going to call this woman a dog because I'm mad. Is that, what, is that is what's going on? We might even be tempted with our modern ears to, to hear this and to read this and go, here we go, I knew it, Jesus, just another one of the misogynists, another one of these guys abusing power. Of course, I was just waiting for this. He was going to call this woman a dog. Here he did. Called her a dog. Had the Pharisees uh, contaminated Jesus' mind as Jesus begin to second guess uh, the gospel as he begun to second guess the nature of the kingdom of God. And so he, he begins to think, yeah, this woman actually is a dog because she's a Gentile. And that's exactly what the Pharisees would have believed. Is that what, is that what is happening here? Jesus says she's a dog. 
What if I told you that uh, the word that Jesus actually uses here for dog is actually, it means actually more of a puppy? Is that better? Is that better if, uh, if Jesus is calling her more of a domesticated family pet, like a puppy dog? Shep, thank you. I'm glad that you said no, because that is right. It's not right. It's not right to be called a puppy. We don't take any solace in that, that Jesus would be calling her a puppy. Like a lot of dogs at this time were scavenging around like mangy mutts. The Pharisees actually thought of the Gentiles like a mangy mutt dog. But Jesus here is actually using a word for puppy. But again, is that any better? No, is right. I, I, I know this even in my own heart. And if you've, you've heard me talk about my dog, you already know what my answer is. Uh, but I know several of you uh, love your pets, your puppies. You've, you've uh, in, in times of great uh, distress, and maybe some of you are dealing with this right now, will have to make decisions that are hard about your pets. But if, if any of you elevated your puppy over your own children, then we'd have some really big questions to ask, Right? We'd have some, some navigating to do. What is Jesus saying? He's actually using a parable. Jesus is using a parable at this time. The parable is that the children who are eating at the table, he refers to the, the children who are being fed first, those are the people of Israel, that Jesus has come to bring the gospel first to the Jews. That's what he's saying. I've come to the Jews first. They are the children to be fed there in verse 27. The dogs underneath the table are the Gentiles in this parable that are not yet supposed to get the bread. And so what Jesus is doing here, he is using a parable to test this woman. He's using a parable to test to see if she understands. And she does. It's incredible that this is the first person in the Gospel of Mark to understand a parable. We've, we've read and, and seen several parables already that Jesus has, has spoken and taught his disciples and followers, and she is the one that first understands. And, and look at the incredible way that she responds to Jesus. She, she doesn't give up. She doesn't hear him say, no, you're a dog, and so she doesn't uh, leave and give up in despair. She doesn't say, okay, well, maybe it looks like you're having a bad day. I'll come back tomorrow, and maybe this will go better. No, and she also doesn't say, she also doesn't go the opposite way and go, how dare you call me a dog? How dare you say that I'm under the table? I deserve a seat at the table, Jesus. She doesn't do any of that. What does she do? She says, I know you're right. I know you're right, but even the dog gets the crumbs that fall under the table. I know I have no right to ask you this, Jesus, but I know you're going to do it for me. I know that you are willing to help me. And there she finds amazing grace under the table. A Gentile woman, a true outsider, Someone who we would never imagine is showing herself to have a remarkable faith. In, in Matthew's account of the same story, Jesus says, O oh, woman of great faith, 
Jesus is so pleased. Jesus is amazed by the faith of this woman. So her daughter is healed. Her daughter is transformed, but so was this woman's heart. Her daughter is healed, but her heart is shown to be one that is transformed as well. She has a heart of faith. She has a faith that sees Jesus' goodness, not her own. She sees his goodness, not looking inside for her own goodness. She has a faith that knows that hearts are fed by grace, a faith that knows the depth of sin. After all, you you can imagine this woman, this mother, leaving her little daughter, watching her daughter writhe in some type of discomfort or pain because she is uh, possessed by some type of demon. And so you understand the depth of what's going on, and there's no way that this mother, this woman, could ever come to Jesus and think that sin is only skin deep. She's seen the darkness. She's seen the depravity. She's seen what's taken hold of her daughter, and this is not a woman that would come to Jesus and think all she needs to do is wash her hands or read a certain version of the Bible or wash her couch or eat certain things. She's seen the depths of hell affect her daughter. She knows how deep sin goes. Her response shows that she is actually not a dog under the table. Her, her response actually shows that she is one of the children at the table. That's, that's the incredible reality here. That is the good news is that Jesus, in testing her, actually she proves that she is one of the children at the table. She's not a dog under the table. She hoped for a crumb, but she came and found all of the bread. She, she came perhaps wanting just a drop of God's mercy and grace, and she found the whole fountain. She is one of the children at the table. That's what's incredible about the fact that we, here some 2,000 years later, can come to Jesus and receive the whole bread. We can drink from the whole fountain. Do you see the photo negatives? Do you see these extreme contrasts? You see, on one hand, you have uh, the Pharisees and the scribes that uh, certainly are coming to Jesus, but they're observing from afar. And then on the other hand, you have this woman who comes as close as she can, falling down at his feet and begging him. Do you see the difference? You see one that's law-obsessed and then the, the other that's actually without the law as a Gentile. You see one over here who's proud and lifted up and then one over here who is humbled and low. One faithless, one faithful. One that's careful to examine hands and food and then one over here that knows Jesus penetrates deep into the heart. Where's your heart this morning? Where's your heart? We need help to see the depth of our need, to see how, how truly deep sin goes. And only then can we look to the amazing grace of Jesus Christ that cleanses and feeds. And so here's, here's what I hope for you and me this morning. Here's what I hope for us. I hope that we're not just here physically 
As you sit in your seat, I can see you physically here, but your hearts are far away. I pray that's not the case. Maybe it's been. Maybe you've come in this morning and your mind has been in a million different places except here with the Word of God and with God's people. I pray that that we would really begin to ask the questions when we come to Jesus, when we gather as his people, what, what are we doing here? And why have we come? Are you here because you just check the box that this is what you do on a Sunday morning is that you get up, you put your clothes on, you come to church, but you don't give it much thought. And even as you sit uh, during a sermon or as you stand later to sing and as you take the Lord's Supper, your mind is somewhere altogether different. Your heart is far. Maybe, maybe church attendance, maybe uh, the, the fact that you come to church is your own type of Corbin. Maybe this is your, this is, this is what I do for God so that he will bless me. This is what I give to him. I come to church. That's how I know I'm good with God. And then I'll go home. And I'll do it again next week probably unless something else comes up in my schedule. We'll see. Are you coming to church to find a crumb under the table? Maybe, maybe that's more of where you are this morning, that you are coming knowing that you need Jesus, knowing that you enjoy worshiping with his people, and yet uh, you have settled your mind on way too little, that you're just here for a crumb. If I can just get just a little piece of Jesus. These are the dangers, obviously. These are the things that we uh, consider the two ditches, maybe, that we talk about a lot, the, the dangers on all sides, the danger of pride, the danger of thinking that we have it all together and all I need to do is do my service to God and our hearts are closed off to his grace. I pray that's not what's going on, that you don't believe that your need is that great. I, I suspect knowing you, knowing most of you, that where we actually are is in that other ditch or the other danger, which is despair. I, I know you. I, I so enjoy hearing what the Lord is doing in your life, and yet what I would say is more familiar to us is this type of despair, that we really haven't come to grips with the depths of our own sin matched with the much more deeper grace of Jesus Christ. Maybe you look at the list of sins here in verses 21 and 23. You see all, all of these words of uh, evil thoughts and theft and murder and sensuality and envy. And you might be overwhelmed this morning with guilt and shame. I just want to remind us, because maybe we've forgotten, that the arm of God is not too short. That the arm of God is able to save and to sanctify, and to lift up. The arm of God is not too short. Believe in his glorious grace. If, if when I say that, if when I say, do not believe the lie that the arm of the Lord is too short because it's not, he is standing ready to offer you the deep well and rich food of his grace. If the first response in your mind and heart is, yeah, but... That's a warning sign. Yeah, but I've been walking in foolishness for so long. I, once again this week, 
Uh, yelled at my kids. I once again went to that website I didn't want to go to. Once again, uh, find myself scrolling on the phone instead of engaging my kids. Maybe you don't even feel like a puppy, but you feel like a stray dog. Maybe you would have said, well, I, I, yeah, I kind of feel like a puppy, but maybe if you're actually honest, you, you feel like you're one of these mangy mutts or strays that are wandering around looking for trash, and you look over and you see, well, there's the family. There's the family of God, but I'm not a part of that. The story of Jesus and this woman in Mark 7 screamed to us, you belong. Believer in Jesus Christ, you belong. You belong here. You belong to him. And so will you dare to throw yourself upon the mercy of God? Will you dare in your desperation to throw yourself upon his feet, knowing that he will transform you? Well, are you desperate for healing? Are you desperate for transformation? Jesus wants this for all of us. He stands ready to give this to all of us. He even wanted it for the Pharisees if they would have taken it, if they would have humbled themselves and seen their need, the depths in their heart. As weak as your faith might be today, would you dare to taste and see that the Lord is good. That you behold the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one defiled by our sin. He was ultimately defiled by our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. For our sake Jesus was treated like a dog outside the camp. Bloody, starving, hungry, nailed to a cross. For our sake, his blood was shed to cleanse us. We're clean by his blood, both inside and outside. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, his broken body to feed us. Not a crumb here, not a dry piece of bread here, but to feed us with him, the bread of life. We get all of him. We get the whole thing. This is what the cross has done. This is the cross where dogs become children, where the far off are brought near. The Syrophoenician woman found grace under the table, but we all have really found grace under the cross. Faithful hearts look up for grace. Are you looking for transformation? Are you looking for grace? You have to look up. It's the only direction you can find it. This woman found grace under the table. We find it under the cross. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is our story. Hallelujah. Let us go to him in prayer. And so, Father, we are so remarkably grateful for the grace of Jesus Christ to save sinners. Will you help us know, in a new way perhaps, the depths of our problem, our deceitful hearts, taken captive by all sorts of ungodliness, but none of it is too far away from you. 
And those of us who have put our faith into Jesus Christ, those, this list that we read about in Mark 7, all the types of sin and evil, that was our life. We are new creatures under you. We once were dogs under a table scrounging around for crumbs and a small morsel, but now we are seated at your table with you, feasting upon you, the bread of life, drinking deeply from living water. What an amazing gift your grace is for us. Help us to, to not come to you with any ideas of uh, external uh, ways that we need to get ourselves right, washing our hands, eating certain foods. We just come to you and look up for your grace. We fall at your feet, expecting that you will transform us more and more into the image of Christ. And so have us to see these things with the great clarity that we need with spiritual eyes. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.